This ESPN podcast is brought to you by GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit GEICO.com. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report, a surprisingly beautiful Wednesday here in Southern California. Gotta love Southern California when it, when it's like 75 degrees on January 9th, January 8th, whatever it is. We have a two-part podcast coming up today. I'm going to call Jacko. We're going to do our annual podcast where we complain about whoever they pick for the Hall of Fame in baseball. Uh, we will not be using a ton of advanced stats. We, we, we like to talk about this like two grumpy old men. We're going to do that, and then part two of the podcast... Uh, Zach Lowe and I haven't talked basketball in a while, and we we have a lot of things to argue about and bring up and talk about, and um, we're going to do that. So two parts coming up right now, Jacko, and he knows we are calling. Complex litigation, this is John. Johnny. What's up, buddy? Congratulations on Greg Biggio making the Hall of Fame. I know you were pining for it for years. (laughs) Uh, It's a proud day. Champagne bottles were popping at my house last night. Do you remember that time... uh, we were at that game and 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 Biggio. Oh wait, I don't I don't even know what Craig Biggio looks like. <laughs> that time he got that uh, base hit, it was great. The time he singled up the middle. <laughs> exactly, boy. I'll be bouncing my grandkids on my knee, telling them that story. My buddy Gus sent me an email. It's basically like, I can't wait to bounce my grandkids on my lap and tell them about never remembering a single game that Craig Biggio played. <laughs> I thought that was apt. <laughs> That's exactly right. I can't think of one big moment that he was involved in. I don't understand. We do this every year. I feel like we've taped this podcast every year, and it's becoming an annual tradition. But I just don't understand the purpose of the Hall of Fame. It's supposed to be a museum. I've written about it a million times. We may as well cover it again. It's supposed to be this museum that captures all of baseball's history and, and memorable players. And I'm supposed to take my son there at some point and point to the different plaques. And uh, and Craig Biggio made it, but Kurt Schilling didn't. <laughs> and Pete Rose was more hits than anybody else. He's not in there. And Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens don't get to get in. They just have there, something right. on their plaque. Exactly. They're not going to be in there. But Craig Biggio, boy, I'll have a tear in my eye as I stand there looking at his plaque someday. Yeah. And John Smoltz made it, but Kurt Schilling didn't. Yeah. I, there's about a 10-year stretch there. Does anyone take John Smoltz over Kurt Schilling? No, my God, no. I I got in trouble yesterday from a bunch of Braves fans who tweeted back at me because I said, having watched them both pitch in their heyday, if I had a, needed one guy to start a big game, I would take Mike Mussina over John Smoltz every day of the week. Oh, interesting. And, and I would. But And Braves fans reacted viscerally to that tweet, and they were very happy. I guess, you know, you're happy that a, your guy gets in the Hall of Fame. I guess that's a big deal to some people. And I'm not the biggest Mucina backer in the world, but if you look at his numbers, and, and really the better case I should have made last year because he's much more of a Hall of Famer than Tom Glavin is. Smoltz was yeah. actually better than Glavin, so I have a better argument against Glavin, but some, for some reason, Mike Mucina, who's got like 2,800 strikeouts, he's got 270 wins, and I know we discount wins nowadays, but I guess we don't because Glavin got in with, because he got 300 wins last and got in last year. Yeah, And we've seen it in the AL East in the heyday of the steroid era, pitching against the Yankees for the Orioles and then pitching against, you know, the Red Sox as a Yankee, you know, Manny and Ortiz and facing the Yankees lineup in the 90s and put up those numbers. 
And I don't really understand. At least you can't tell me that was his dominant. Now he has a better postseason record, Smoles, and he has 150 saves, and I guess people go crazy over that. But I mean, to me, Mucina was every much a pitcher, the pitcher that Smoltz or Glavin was. I would have ranked it Schilling one, um, Mucina and, and Smoltz. I think you, I could go either way on. I, I slight edge to Mucina just because thought his career was slightly better, but I, I, I so also too. didn't watch a lot of National League. Right. Um, but they seem like it's weird to me that one of them would make it, but the other didn't. The Schilling thing, I feel like if he just gets hit by a bus after the 2007 season, he makes it automatically. Yeah. But I mean, I despise him, but he, you know, just based on his postseason performances alone, I mean, what he did for Arizona, what he did for the Red Sox, his numbers, he's a Hall of Famer. Nothing pains me more than saying that, but he is a Hall of Famer. Well, and also, it, it, it does feel like having moments should matter with this, you know? Like, the Bloody Sock game was a moment. The fact that he pitched three now? of his... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jenny. <laughs> Thanks. But, uh, you know, he, he three of his four postseason starts in 2004, he did on, on, on a bum ankle. And he, well, won, he won the last two... On you know, on a bum ankle. There's there's obviously two Hall of Fame voters that agree with you that moments should matter because they voted for Aaron Boone to be in the Hall of Fame. Wow, so, I didn't support that. <laughs> for one, at bat, he was a Hall of Famer to me. That's for sure. So I I, I really kudos to those two guys for those votes. Somebody was saying to me that uh, maybe it was Jacoby was saying that. Oh, it was Jacoby passing on a Kevin Wilds theory that the. The Red Sox winning the World Series should have counted for three rings because it was considered so inconceivable at the time. <laughs> so everybody from that team should be in the Hall of Fame? Is that your theory? Well, not everybody. I, I mean, I don't think Chad Nixon should be in. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying, I was trying to look at, at, at Schilling's postseason that year. I mean, the bloody sock game alone, it, it would have been – yeah, he beat Colorado, too, in game two. I went to that game. He, uh, oh, no, that was in 2007. I'm sorry. Yeah, he he he, uh, he pitched game two of the World Series. That's the game I went to. Um, he, he, you know, I just don't think people like Schilling. I think that's what this came down to. I don't well, think they like always- his last eight years. I think they think he's annoying, and I think they think he says too much. I don't think I think they hold it against him that his company went bankrupt, and all of those things factored into him not making the Hall of Fame. Well, that's always the interesting thing to the Hall of Fame for me is like Eddie Murray didn't get in for a long time, and the reason he didn't get in, even though he's one of the top five switch hitters of all time. He didn't get in because he was really prickly with the press. Didn't wasn't nice to guys in the in the media room, and you know wouldn't give friendly interviews. So they they like blackballed him for years. I so hate like, that. Well, if you're just going to vote, I mean, if this is based on merit alone, and you're going to you know they have this character clause that they all cling to for the steroid thing, and I guess that you know, he was a bad character because he wouldn't talk to the media, talk about right. self-serving. So it's like you can put up whatever numbers you want to put up, but if you're not a good gregarious guy, then you know that you're not going to get in the Hall of Fame. It's ridiculous. This is one of my all-time pet peeves when 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 uh, media people always play like the class card. Peter King did it on Monday. It was he had some sort of story and it ended with like class, right. classy, or something like that. It's like nobody cares. Right. Nobody cares who's classy. What did they do in the field? Would you want to play with them? Right. I think like. You go with Barry Bonds, somebody like that. 
Now there's somebody like forget about the fact that he was a, a dick to media members. Like he actually was a dick to people on his team. Basically. Yeah, right. Well, but he but he was like a bad teammate. He was <laughs> right. somebody that no nobody on his team is telling like fond Barry Bond stories, and that maybe that should factor in a little bit. But in Schilling's case. You know, I, I just thought he was awesome in 2004. I, I didn't follow the National League closely enough to tell you how great he was on those Philly-Arizona teams. But, like, you know, Arizona, that Arizona team ended the Yankee dynasty. That should count for something, too. I mean, he was huge in 2000. I mean, he was even huge earlier. and Wasn't he huge in 93 for the Phillies when they went on that run to the World Series? Oh, yeah. He, he, had, put uh, that, he put that team on his back to get him in the postseason because everybody thought the Braves were going to roll. And yeah, he, he pretty much single-handedly beat the Braves Yep, on that Phillies team, him and Darren Dalton. And then he takes the Diamondbacks there with Randy Johnson as a deadly one-two punch. And then what he did with the Red Sox. Postseason should... All, God, I can't believe I'm, I'm extolling... I love it. Keep going. Schilling. God, I, I may jump out of a window when this is over. Um, uh, you know, everybody gets all agog about Smoltz because he's got 150 saves. Well, Schilling, you know, when the Red Sox didn't have a closer, didn't he become their closer for a year? Yeah, he did. It wasn't for a year, but he did it for a few months. People forget about the 2007 Kurt Schilling when he was a little bit washed up, but... But had some big moments in the uh, in the started some big games in the 07 playoffs. It wasn't a deep starting rotation. They needed him. So um, yeah, but I don't know. Though. It's such a weird it's such a weird thing. And yesterday, like when I you know made a couple of jibes at Smoltz, and really it wasn't so much anti Smoltz as it was pro Mucina, and all these people reacted. And I was thinking to myself, you know, it's a great honor for these guys to that actually get in, obviously. But for, really, to the rest of us, it's just a museum, and you're deciding over like what exhibits are going to be in a museum. And I thought to myself, it would be funny. Like, I don't think they have this in any other the other museums, like the Smithsonian. Nobody's like, oh my god, I can't believe they voted Tyrannosaurus Rex as the number one display. <laughs> Where's Brontosaurus? Are you kidding me? God, those bones were magnificent. It's ridiculous. Well, how is the honeymooners being displayed like that? Yeah, Archie Booker. Where is I love Lucy? Are you me? <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is ridiculous. I think what's what's really annoying though is I, I have a couple problems with the Hall of Fame. I, like I think it's interesting that everybody gets so upset about Tim Raines. Yeah. And I know there's a I you know I, I'm a huge Tim Raines fan. And when I had my big what if sports run, Tim Raines was like a what if god. Like he was clearly way ahead of his time with right. on base percentage and all the stuff he did on baseball field. The fact that he never got thrown out with steals, all this stuff. He was the poor man's Ricky Henderson. Right, you can't and fault you could him make, that he wasn't Ricky Henderson. But you could make the case if he had just switched teams with Ricky Henderson his whole career. Right. Maybe we're talking about Tim Raines and Ricky Henderson was just this guy with great stats who said goofy things and wasn't quite as memorable. I don't know. Um, the point is, uh, we're judging Reigns by the things we care about now. Yeah. But in the 80s, we didn't really care about them. Right. You know, like Wade, Wade Boggs would get on base and, you know, if you look at Wade Boggs now, his career that he had in the eighties, he's you know he's the perfect stat nerd guy. Yeah, over way over four hundred on base every year, and just does all the things you'd want from a baseball player now. But back then, we used to resent Wade Boggs. We used right. to be I mean, as a Yankee, <clears throat> as a Yankee fan who would always battle my Red Sox fans in the Mattingly Boggs battles. It was always well, you know, Mattingly has a lot more power. Boggs, oh, Boggs is just a singles hitter. You know, that was always the notion of what we argued about. And now, you know, you look at Boggs with his walks and hits, you know, he'd be a god nowadays. 
people didn't understand how valuable he was. Like he would get booed. Right. Somebody would be on second base in the bottom of the eighth and Boggs would be up with one out and he'd draw a walk and people would be upset. They'd yell at him that he didn't try to get a hit. And you could argue that maybe he should, he Boggs trying to get a hit was a better chance for the Red Sox than Marty Barrett. But <laughs> he still, he did the right thing. Like he worked the count, but we just didn't understand that at the time. And I think that's unfair to people like Steve Garvey and Andre Dawson because at the yeah, time, they no, be judged by their era. And nobody nobody was telling them. Yeah, nobody was telling them, hey, you should work the count more. Right. Or, hey, being, getting on base is really important. They were just telling them, like, look, you got to go up there. You got to hit the ball. You got to drive guys in. Got to hit homers. You know, you got you to gotta be clutch. Like, we didn't, we didn't understand baseball. Right. So I, I don't understand how we're judging people like that. And then somebody, even you look at somebody like Lee Smith. Do you think Lee Smith's a Hall of Famer? He's probably not. No, but he got 30% of the vote yesterday. I know. I mean, Lee Smith, he had the saves record for a while. He was a great closer. He was a great closer. During an era when when closers were, weren't were used, I mean, they were used a little more liberally, you know? It yeah. was like, hey, let's use this guy six days in a row. And like we, now it's like closers are used so perfectly and so to their advantage. I think it's unfair to compare the closers now to, in some ways to the guys like Lee Smith. Lee Smith did have a couple of years where he was lights out, though. It was like, bring him in and game was over. I loved Lee Smith. Do you think Edgar Martinez is a Hall of Famer? <clears throat> you know, I did. And then I was looking at the ballot yesterday and I was looking at his numbers. His numbers don't really blow you away. But, I mean, I was nervous when the Yankees played the Mariners during those years and Edgar Martinez came up. That's the thing. I mean, I, I kind of rate some of this on who put the fear of God into you. Like I Smoltz, you know, the Yankees faced Smoltz in the World Series, and I looked at the stats, and it turns out he pitched pretty well in 96 against them. He didn't pitch so well against them in 99. But I never had the fear of God like I did about Greg Maddox. That, like, I didn't fear John Smoltz. Oh, the Yankees don't have a chance. John Smoltz is on the mound. But, like, yeah. when the Yankees faced the Mariners, and you have Griffey and Edgar Martinez, I'm like, oh, my God, this is a rough inning coming up here. I always felt like Edgar Martinez was going to get a hit against the Red Sox. I never wanted to see him come up, and I always felt like something bad was going to happen every time he was up. I and I mean, he gets means. penalized because he's essentially a, a DH, and I guess his numbers are not astronomical enough from a strictly DH point of view to put him in. I was surprised. He only has 300 home runs, and he has 2,200 hits. He was an early on-base god, though. Yeah. During the era when the on-base, when people started to go over 400 on-base pretty routinely. Um, what about Bagwell? Yeah, Bagwell is an interesting case. I mean, he put up enormous numbers. and they always, I'm from Connecticut, and he was the Connecticut boy. He went to the University of Hartford and grew up here, so they covered him you know, astronomically here in Connecticut. And uh, he did put up massive numbers and was a – I mean, he's a – you know – it was him and Biggio. I think he's a better hitter than Biggio. I'm more afraid of Jeff Bagwell than I am of Craig Biggio. Bagwell, four four oh eight career on base, five forty career slugging, two hundred two stolen bases, had the monster ninety four MVP year. And I, I want to find the Astros fan during the Bagwell Biggio era right. who's like, you know who's more valuable for us? Craig Biggio. <laughs> right. Thank God for him. And he gets in because he has 3,000 hits and he played like 40 years. So, I mean, you know, the classic Mike and the Mad Dog compiler, you know, he played forever and got enough hits to get to 3,000. But Bagwell was a much better player than Biggio was. 
He's certainly and of course, more Sox traded him for Larry Anderson, so that was always the you know fifteen year lament of the Red Sox fan. He should get in just for that. Yeah, I always followed the American League much more diligently than the National League for about forty different reasons. <laughs> but I always knew what Bagwell was up to, considering right. we gave him away for two months of Larry Anderson. Right. Uh, See, I, Bagwell I just... is one of these guys. He and Piazza, which is it's ridiculously unfair that they get they get painted with the steroid brush just based on rank speculation. Just like the taint of steroids in the air, they've never appeared on any list or failed any that anybody knows of, and have never failed any test that anybody knows of. And yet, everybody there's all these whispers, so they get caught up in the whispers, and they're you know banished from the Hall of Fame now. Which is weird because I just work under the assumption now that everyone cheated in that from the, in that entire generation except for Greg Maddox and Pedro <laughs> and Jeter. Come on. Throw me a bone I, I, after all my shilling praise. Yeah. Um, I, don't, but, I don't know what I don't know what Jeter's <laughs> up to. I don't, I don't trust that guy. I mean, poor Piazza. He doesn't get in, and he's never appeared on a list like you know Clemens or Bonds or Big Poppy. So it's really it's it's an outrage. Piazza, and I know they, you can only vote for ten, but Piazza not making it is legitimately insane. He might be the best offensive catcher of all time. Well, next to Johnny Bench, you always have to put that. They always have to put that uh, caveat in there. But he was certainly the best offensive catcher of our generation. That's of what that I generation. say. Yeah, no, no, no I, I think he's the greatest offense. I, I'm going to put him over Johnny Bench. Really? His stats are better. Mm, I mean, he's played a different era, but different Johnny era. Bench. Johnny Bench had the. Uh, he was such a better defensive player. I think that was what. I mean, he, when he got traded to the Mets, Piazza, when they pulled off that trade, that put them on the map, got him into the World Series. Maybe if he had charged the mound against Clemens in the 2000 World Series, that would have, everybody would have a different look at him, you know? See, that I think that hurt. I think that hurt Piazza, that he that he handled that so like yeah. such a wimp. Yeah. That if was just, terrible. If he'd come out with the bat and pulled a John, Juan Marichal on him, I think maybe he'd be in. Yeah. There's a lot of regrets. <laughs> Might get in unanimously. I think, uh, I mean, we're obviously okay with Randy Johnson, right? Yeah, he was a terrible Yankee, but he was a dominant pitcher. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I actually, I thought he should have gotten a hundred percent of the vote, and I thought Pedro should have. But I know, I know, people have their weird. <laughs> it's like this passive aggressive. Babe Ruth didn't in, in 1935 or whatever. Yeah, it's so passive aggressive. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I'm not voting for him right away. I wonder if there's like an email chain, like I'm not going to vote for Randy Johnson. You make sure you don't vote for Pedro because we don't want to yeah. get a hundred percent. It's not an email chain. They talk about it oh, in the nursing point. home. It's in the nursing home between it's Canasta games. Chain. Yeah. I can't. I can't do it. Babe <laughs> Ruth didn't get in 100%. I can't do it. I mean, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what the process is for the NFL Hall of Fame. I, I think don't a bunch of guys just get together like Super Bowl weekend. Isn't there some like, isn't it sort of a glorified veterans committee? But maybe baseball needs some panel of experts and take it out of the hands of these writers. And so it's not based on, on their gripes and their, uh, you know, grudges and people that didn't talk to them and they couldn't get a story in in time. And so they're not going to now going to, you know, not let them into the Hall of Fame. There is, I don't know how you would put it together and they'd be griping about that, too. But I, there seems to be there should be some better, better way to get to have this make some degree of sense. So you're saying that Dan Shaughnessy might have a couple biases? <laughs> One or two thousand, yeah. I mean, that guy has a vote. It's ridiculous. Jesus, I, uh, I think a lot of these people should be in the Hall of Fame. And I also, I've told you my nightclub idea, right? I think the Hall of Fame should be a nightclub. 
like that make a pyramid idea? Well, this is the pyramid idea is a separate thing. Oh. I think you could talk me into a nightclub idea too, where it's just like 160 people are in. And if somebody goes in, somebody gets thrown out of the nightclub. Oh, wow. So it's limited for all time. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's limited all time. Maybe you had like like five or 10 every decade. Wow. But it's like. you know, you say that Randy Jats is coming in. Uh oh, Bill Mazeroski, throw it out of the nightclub. Jeez, wow, that's crazy. Now that would lead to, that would be a bloodbath. That would be great. It just that, be, would, that would lead to so many columns. It would be ridiculous. It would, yeah, it would lead to a lot of fights and anger. I, oh, I still think the Hall of Fame pyramid that my buddy Gus's dad, Wally Ramsey, came up with in 1997. I've written about it many times. I, my basketball book was based around the pyramid concept. I think that would be unbelievable with yes. with the baseball of fame and like even this year the pyramid concept was five levels lowest level was level one and it goes kind of up and the last level is the pantheon level five would have been really interesting with a couple of the guys that were in this year right yeah, like yeah. where was pedro i think pedro is a level four mm, i don't know arguably have you ever seen a better pitcher well no but uh, this is what this is where my own Shaughnessy like bias comes into play because there's no player I despise more. So uh, I'm going to choke on my own tongue before I say anything nice about him. Pedro went into Yankee stadium on September 17th or September 13th, somewhere in September, 1999 against the greatest baseball team of the last, what? 35 years. Yeah. And threw one hitter with 17 strikeouts right in the middle of when you won four titles in five years and almost won a fifth title in six years. I watched that entire game at a bar, and I've never seen them look more inept. On a Friday night at Yankee Stadium, sold out 17 strikeouts. The home plate umpire was Jim Reynolds, with whom I went to high school. Oh. And was a big Red Sox fan. Sure, that's just a coincidence. Stop it. Come on. (laughs) No, he was legitimately unhittable. I mean, literally, think- like people throw the word unhittable around. He literally, the Yankees, they looked ridiculous. He he made them look ridiculous. I've never seen a more dominating pitching, dominant pitching performance. So you would have Bonds and Clemens. Would you have McGuire? Um, yeah, I think McGuire's a Hall of Famer because of the you know the one home run season and the, if you're going to put steroid guys in and, and the numbers all over. I never thought he was that great of a player. I thought you know so one dimensional, but. You can't argue. Well, you can't argue with those numbers because they're tainted. But if we're going to put all those guys in, you can't argue with the numbers that he has. I will always remember watching McGuire in the late '90s when he was loaded up with God knows what at that '99 uh, home run derby in Fenway when they souped up the balls and McGuire was souped up and and balls were going over the monster and going out to the mass pike and it was incredible. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And he also hit, what did he hit, 70, 71 homers, 70? He was in the 70s. I don't even remember. I don't so remember because Bonds had 72. That's the record, but I forget. Yeah, McGuire no, Bonds had 73. 70. Yeah, McGuire had 72. Bonds had 73, I think. Oh, did he? Because Sosa had 66 that year, and then McGuire had whatever, 70-something. Poor 70, Sosa. 71. Sosa averaged like 65 homers a year for the entire decade. And it's, considered. it's so crazy. An off year for Sosa was 58 homers. <laughs> so crazy. Meanwhile, he was growing a, a second chin, a third forehead. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of st- 
appearance did those guys take back then? Uh, it's so funny. They, they like, disfigured back. Sosa's face. Whatever he was doing, his face got disfigured. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I must hit more homers. <laughs> I enjoyed uh, my favorite part of the Baseball Hall of Fame every year is when weird people get votes. You you talked about Aaron Boone got Aaron Boone got two votes. Yeah. Troy Percival got four, which I yeah. thought was hilarious. Darren Erstad with one. Darren Erstad got one. Tom Gordon got one. 30 people voted for Nomar. I know. I was, Nomar! Unbelievable. It's every Boston beat writer. And then I, I wonder where the other 10 came from, other 20 came from. What is the case for Nomar? Even I, I can't, I love Nomar. Even I can't make that case. I don't know. 30 guys made the case. 30. That's it's unbelievable to me. Were they 30 drunk guys? I saw that. I, I couldn't believe that. 30. I gotta look up. got 36 and Nomar got 30. I got to look up Nomar's stats while we're talking here. So Nomar played for I actually from have it right here. 1996 to 2009. God, he had those two great seasons, though. 99 and 2000. 357 and 372. 1,700 hits. 229 oh, wow. homers. Um, 936 RBIs. <laughs> 521 slugging career. 95 stolen bases. Nomar, you should lose your vote. You should, I love Nomar, but you should lose your vote if you voted for Nomar. 361 OBP. That's 521 weird. slugging. That's solid. Yeah, now, Hall of Fame numbers right there for Nomar. On the flip side, the hitman, Don Mattingly, with yeah. 50 votes. Last year, he's done. 15th year, and he's out. Well, he was... I felt like he was the best hitter in the league in the mid eighties. He totally was. The I don't know what is, that means, but his he, back just gave out on him. I mean, he's just, just not enough years, but I mean, you know, if you told me in 1986, 87, that Don Mattingly was not going to be a hall of famer, I, I would have fought you to the death. But unfortunately he's just not. Were you surprised that, were you surprised that Richard Wheely and Jermaine Dye didn't get a vote? <laughs> I, I was actually making that joke to myself yesterday. I'm like, wow, no love for Richard Aurelia. Come on, Richard Aurelia. No votes. Carlos Delgado. He got uh Fred McGriff. All these guys were under 75. 77 people voted for Jeff Kent. Yeah. <laughs> and he was another prickly guy. So, you, you know, that's amazing he got that many votes. How about Trammell's an interesting one? Yeah. Because Trammell's the one, you, you compare him to guys who are in and he should be in. But I was there for the entire Alan Trammell era and it's it's a hard case. Yeah, again, we, we weren't really shaken when Alan Trammell came up to the plate. Good defensively. My dad never took me to the Red Sox-Tigers game and said, we're going to see Alan Trammell. He and Sweet Lou Whitaker, they should go in like they should share a plaque. Don't you think that would be a great way to decide the Hall of Fame? Is Did your dad or did you say to your son or your mm-hmm. daughter or whoever, did anyone ever say the word in your family, we're going to the park to see blank? Yeah. And if you didn't say that about that person, then then I need an unbelievable case for him to make the Baseball Hall of Fame or any Hall of Fame. I like that, and I like my fear of God. Like when this guy came to the plate or your team was facing him, like did, did he put the fear of God into you? Yeah, but then at that point, then Paul O'Neill gets to be in, and I don't want him in my any baseball Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh, I, I was so scared of Paul O'Neill. Oh, I love this new system I put in place just for that reason. I was scared of Paul O'Neill. <laughs> I was scared of that whole Yankee team. I miss having a baseball team that uh, – I think that's one of the reasons I don't follow baseball as intently anymore other than the fact that every game is four and a half hours. I don't, it, was, it was really fun to root against that Yankee team. Every Red Sox-Yankee game really mattered from 1998 through whatever, the mid-2000s. 
Yeah. I felt like all of those games really mattered to me. I really wanted to beat the Yankees. And now it's like, I can't even, I can't even work up enough hatred for four Yankees. See, you, you're in a much better spot with the Red Sox because we still have all these guys that you hate. I've engendered a lot of hate since 2004. That's right. If it was getting, the rivalry was getting stale for me and now it's engendered, of, you know, all kinds of hate. Unfortunately, the Yankees are awful. So that's problematic from my standpoint, but, uh, yeah, the rivalry is still good for me, but you guys have been so dominant that it's just, you know, laissez-faire for you. You know, um, you know, I know a few Mets fans. <laughs> yes. There's some buzz about this 2015 Mets season. Uh, people comparing it to a little bit of a doppelganger to the 85 Mets-Yankees when that was threatening to flip. There you go. And uh, didn't and, last, though, but yes, they did have a run there where they were the dominant nice, team in town. Nice four-year run, as you... As you were in the tank? Yeah. Could happen again. Oh, totally could happen again. If their pitching comes through, I mean, you know, they that's what built the 80s Mets dynasty, such as it was. Not really a dynasty, but their couple of years of glory there was they had a great pitching staff, and they're threatening to have a great pitching staff now. You might be done with baseball. I can feel it in your voice. Well, Jeter's gone. Work, I don't know if you followed my Twitter last night, but when I learned at the 1030 at night or whatever it was that the Yankees have re-signed Stephen Drew, yeah, I officially threw in the towel on the 2015 Yankees. <laughs> I didn't see that. I did. I announced it at, at January 6th, 2015, at 10:34 p.m. It's over. It's it's over. Stephen threw it that, in. That's the straw that broke the camel's back. Wow, and it wasn't even a very good camel. It was like this camel that was limping along, it was missing its right hind leg. <laughs> it was a camel that was about to be put down. That's right. Wow, even you I, threw it in. Yeah, the Stephen Stephen Drew for one more go around. I just uh, it's just such a just a ridiculous like thumb in the eye of Yankee fans. I just I, I literally can't even talk about it. Did they want to make sure that the guy who's replacing Jeter from Arizona wasn't the worst hitter on the team? Apparently, apparently. I mean, our our infield is is Mr. Mom at first base. Yeah, Drew's going to play second apparently. With oh, they have, great, they have this kid Ref Snyder in the minors who's threatening to be the next big thing. But just in case he's not ready, it's going to be old Stephen Drew, Dee at short, and Chase Headley at third. Wow, Chase, Dee Dee, Stephen, and Mark—that's our infield. It reminds me of the Dodgers in the late seventies. <laughs> Garvey say, <laughs> very similar. I know. Exactly. I mean, everybody says this kid Gregorius is great as a defensive player, but he can't hit to save his life. So now we're really going to have an awesome eight nine with with him and uh, and Stephen. Nothing. Uh, nothing brings fans to the stadiums, right? Like, like good glove. It's short. And the thing is, like you know, the Yankees need to shed some of these deadweight contracts. I'm not looking for them to go out and sign some guy to another two hundred million dollar contract that I'm going to be regretting five years down the road. But if you're going to stink, at least stink with young guys that maybe there's some hope for the future. And let's see what they can do. Don't stink with Stephen Drew, for the love of God, at $5 million. I mean, yeah. just, God almighty. I just don't understand it for the life of me. Like, do they really think they're going to compete with Stephen Drew as your everyday second baseman? I mean, Mike, he's ready here. What are you doing, man? Doug, I don't love it. I'm not going to lie to you. Got some questions. I mean, I mean, Brian. I know, I know you've had a rocky personal life, but don't take it out of the team. I mean, you know, he and Randy Levine running the Yankees. It's just like you know, and Hal Steinbrenner. I, I don't know. 
that's not exactly the glory years, put it that way. It sounds like you're really ready to move on to a life of just coaching youth soccer teams. <laughs> that's true. And, and watching about, cable dramas. I'm all, I'm all about soccer now. That's it. It's just, it may, I may, Jeter may have left and it may, be, may have been my farewell season too. Maybe they'll make a patch for that. We'll have to start doing podcasts about things like when should you in- introduce goalies into <laughs> under nine, under eight, or under seven youth soccer? Exactly. And is seven is seven on seven for under ten soccer? Too few players. Here's Jacko to go over his ten favorite drills for youth to girls soccer. <laughs> <laughs> that'll be next. That'll that'll be in June with Stephen Drew said he won forty. We're getting older now. You can just call me up and be like, "Boy, how about this weather, huh?" Boy. That's true. We should start doing that. Oh boy, this weather. My knees acting up crazy it's cold yeah maybe we might have to just shift to a political podcast that would turn <laughs> that would turn off 90 percent of maybe that'll be our new yankees versus red sox so we'll just go. be we'll figure out to take all these weird political sets <laughs> there you go there you go that'll make yeah, it up I, a little bit i'm a little more excited about the baseball season than you because well um, understandably well i i think you know Hayley you've, got Ramirez, pink, you've got your pink panda hat and you're all set Oh, I love the panda. Okay, somebody tweeted me a picture today of Hanley Ramirez. Looks like he was shopping for Christmas presents. Or he's in a toy aisle of a store, and he's wearing a sleeveless shirt. And he's got the uh, the guns are loaded. Looks like he's been doing a little off season work. Of one <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's met with Doctor Ortiz down in the. Come American. on! <laughs> Unbelievable. He looked enormous. I'm like, oh god, here we go. Here's the 50 home run Hanley Ramirez season. Oh, this is great. Yeah, it was a troubling picture. That and Stephen Drew, that's just finished me. I hope there's I hope there's not some biogenesis scandal about to break that oh, has please. my entire starting lineup in it. And, you know, if that happened, I'd have to do the Al Pacino. Just when I thought it was out, they pulled it back in. <laughs> You'd be reading Boston.com 10 hours a day, just reading the comments of people freaking out. <laughs> Absolutely. That's what you have for this year, John. You got hate reading about the Red Sox. That's true. It only works if they stink, though. Like, if everything implodes, like, if this becomes, like, the worst team that money could buy, I'll be so happy. But that's all I have, really, is just schadenfreude. That's all I have to root for. There's no place place good to be. When we're trotting out Rick Porcello on opening day, I think think the American League is going to be running in fear. Absolutely. Speaking of the fear of God, yeah. I think this is our worst opening day starter, whoever it is, since Aaron Seeley in 97. Aren't you going to pull the trigger on a Cole Hamels deal at some point, though? You're just going to sure talk them so. down. God, I hope so. I mean, they're holding out for, you know, Mookie Betts or Hall of Famer Xander Bogarts or they something. They trade but... Mookie Betts. I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm going to really be upset. The He's the number one the reason. Day, the Phillies are going to be sitting there going, we can't pay him this whatever's left on this hundred-something million dollar contract. And they're going to give him away for a bag of balls. I will say in all seriousness, I don't mind that they're playing it this way. I don't – the Cleveland Cavaliers are our most recent example, but you don't want to build your team two months or four months before the season starts. Your team doesn't have to be done on opening day or the first game of the the season. I think that's the most common mistake teams make. This is fine. As long as they go into the season with a plan of, all right, we'll start it this way, and then we think we can get a starter in June. Right. You know, who can lead. That, then that makes sense to me. I, I'm a little more worried about the closer situation, actually, than the starting rotation. But What about Yuhara or whatever? You're, you're, you think he's, he's done? He sucked. His he, second he, half, you think, was more reminiscent of what he's going to become? Yeah, he's my age. Yeah. Well, he's not my age, but he might be my age. <laughs> he might be. You never know. never know yeah. with these baseball players who weren't born here. True. Um, Johnny, it's always a pleasure. A joy. Uh, I'm, 
I'm glad we hashed out our Hall of Fame feelings for the yeah. annual year. Absolutely. I, I like the fear of God test. I like the did my dad take me to the ballpark to see this guy play or did I take my girlfriend or my daughter or my son to the ballpark to see this guy play? I think those are two good variables. Maybe like all of we could incorporate all of them together so each counts for something. Like he got he got three bouncing your grandkids on your knee votes, one fear of God, and two take tell your son or girlfriend. He's a Hall of Famer. My buddy Gus, uh diehard Mets fan, swears that Tim Raines passed the fear of God test and the take your take your dad take you to the ballpark to see Tim Raines play test. See, there you go. He also passed the had to slide head first in the second base because he didn't want to break the cocaine vials at the back of his pocket test. Wasn't that him? It's, yeah, I think so. That's a gamer right there. I mean, that shows you a dedication to the game and to his I, drug habit. That's good. I do feel like, uh, yeah, that was, I'm just making sure that was him. I, I'm Googling I'm Tim sure Raines head him. first. Because he yeah. had the cocaine vial in his back pocket. Yeah, that was him. See, I don't blame anyone from 1976 to 1986 for cocaine use because nobody really knew it was that bad for you until people just started dropping dead. And then right. the, kind of the red flag went off. But it, there was this whole era where athletes, celebrities, you name it, they're all like, hey, cocaine, you want some? Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, what could go wrong? And if really, if you're going to penalize guys for using performance-enhancing drugs, shouldn't, you really, shouldn't guys get a benefit for using performance-dehancing drugs? Like Great if you're point. using drugs that actively hurt you and playing the next day because you have a cocaine hangover, you're tired, you're sick, and you're still putting up these numbers, shouldn't that count for something? The dehancing, the dehancement era. Yeah, exactly. You should get some points. You should get some points for that too. We're gonna work that into our new system too. All right, Johnny. We will check in with you soon. All, All right. right. Love to the fam. I'll you talk too. to you soon. All right. All right. Take care. Bye bye. All right, that's it for part one of the BS Report. Check out part two. We're going to call Zach Lowe and talk about anything and everything NBA. Stay tuned for that on the BS Report. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out. Hey, what you got there, Golic? The new Subway Chipotle chicken melt with guacamole. Man, that looks good. Yeah, this new guac is really bringing the flavor. Got one for me too, right? Well, yes and no. Uh, mostly no. Well, really, all no. Oy. Try the irresistible new Subway Chipotle chicken melt with guacamole, juicy grilled chicken strips with Monterey cheddar, Chipotle Southwest sauce, and new guacamole made from ripe Haas avocados with just a hint of jalapeno. Subway, eat fresh.